I want to push it and call it Friday. It's not Friday. It's only Thursday, but for some reason, it feels like a Friday. Don't know exactly why. It just does feel like a Friday, <clears throat> but I need a Thursday. I need a Friday, both this week, uh, heading to Portland this morning uh, to uh, uh, Wendy has an, an annual uh, checkup down there. Uh post-cancer checkup, and uh, so we're heading to Portland this morning, and we've got uh, just just a checkup, and we've got um, a whole load of stuff to pick up for Fairhaven Camps uh, uh, at Sam's Club in Augusta. Not that you all care about any of those details, but camp is about to start, friends, uh, Friday night, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., there will be a dedication service dedicating the new gym 
as well as the summer staff for camp, um, worshiping together, praying together. Yours truly will be speaking uh, at the event, and so I uh, I want to encourage you if if you're out and about, uh, come out to camp. There'll be ice cream social to follow. So I'd love to have you join us. Anybody that's local. I, <laughs> Wow, it'd be something if our friends Santhus, uh, all of a sudden they were showing up at Camp Fairhaven uh, dressed in in their beautiful, beautiful uh, Indian clothing. And uh, I have I have seen. I mean, some of you maybe have seen, but just such beautiful, beautiful clothing. And uh, we know you're not going to show up. I, I don't expect that. Not asking you. I mean, we'd love to. We'd invite you certainly, um, but. Uh, knowing that uh, such such uh, deep needs that you have there, we're in a section of Acts right now where there's a lot of goodbyes going on, and uh, my goal is between this week and next week to wrap up the Book of Acts before I go away. Because I, friends, I'm going to be offline for three weeks. Just letting you know, I'm uh, going to be off for three weeks uh, as we travel uh, all over the West Coast with our with our son and daughter-in-law. Uh, our hours are going to be vastly different uh, than yours. We'll be running three hours behind uh, and uh, doing a fair amount of hiking and things along that along those lines. So I'm going to be unplugging. Uh, we'll take some pictures and things like that to share with you. But uh, uh, just want to let you know we're going to try to wrap up Book of Acts before I leave town uh, in a week. Uh, but Acts 20, 21, uh, we were, look, Acts chapters 20 and 21, I'm going to put it that way. Uh, Paul was saying goodbye to the people of Ephesus. He did it via uh, the elders who he had called to meet at Miletus. And we read yesterday, they, they sobbed because Paul said he would probably never see them again. Uh, and so we, we pick up uh, here in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, and we see, uh, some of the same verbiage taking place here. It says, After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes, and then we went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it uh, on our left. I mean, the, the detail just telling us, you know, that they are traveling to the south of the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea and landed at the harbor uh, at the harbor of Tyre in Syria where the ship was to unload its cargo now Tyre was a, a major port city in that day and uh, uh, it's not so much today but it was in those days a major major port city so they're pulling into this major port city it says we went ashore found the local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Now, actually what was going on is they were seeing that uh, Paul would be facing trial and imprisonment likely um, in going to Jerusalem. That's likely what they were seeing, but it's recorded that they prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was showing them what, what, it was, what was awaiting Paul. And in their estimation, they're saying, Paul, you shouldn't go because 
uh, you will be arrested and there will be these issues, there will be these problems, and uh, uh, you're going to be arrested. It's not going to be a good thing. So don't go, because the Holy Spirit revealed to them what would be happening to Paul. Verse 5 goes on and says, When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt and prayed and said our farewells. Now, i, I got to back up to verse 4 because it's occurring to me something that I'm not saying. S- sometimes the Holy Spirit will show some people something, and even then they can get the message wrong. They These people were being shown by the Holy Spirit what would happen to Paul. And their interpretation of of the vision, the interpretation they're prophesying, was an interpretation of saying, don't go. You should not go. This You, you just shouldn't be there. And uh, they misinterpreted what the Holy Spirit was saying. That can happen. That can happen when, when we are... Uh, when we're seeing things in our mind's eye, when we can kind of look ahead at what's going to happen and we see bad news that might unfold, um, that's something that can happen. Uh, it is entirely possible to get the message wrong, and, and, and they were getting the message wrong. I mean, it was God's plan. It was God's sovereign will that what was about to happen to Paul was going to happen. So I, I'm just sharing that because sometimes we'll, we'll see something and we'll we'll take it to be a message uh, trying to protect somebody, but in fact, maybe we're, we would be preventing them from following God's will. Let's get back uh, into the text. It says, uh, we return to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation from Tyre. The people who had been um, brought to faith in Christ, and it's only been a couple years, so there's an entire congregation brought about in a couple of years, and sometimes we think it takes forever to, to start a congregation. Uh, I've shared with you about my friend Shankar uh, and the 15,000 congregations that have popped up there in India uh, over a, a period of just eight years. It can happen quickly. Our problem in America is sometimes we want to have all these all the extra stuff that really is just extraneous stuff. I got to have building. We got to have uh, a sound system. Uh, we got to have a projector. We've got to have lights. We've got to have yada 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 yada. We got to have the right serving trays for the communion, and we've got to have uh, you know all of our systems and structures have to be right. Well, those things are good. I mean, I, I've been in church, the church planting world. But my observation is that sometimes we get bogged down here in America because we think we have to have so much more. And here, within a period of only a few short years, we're seeing uh, a robust church in the city of Tyre. Oh, that we'd pray that there'd be a robust church, uh, churches cropping up everywhere here in the United States, uh, churches being revitalized uh, by a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. New churches being planted uh, by a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, uh, and that what we see is is such a negative time in American culture, God would use to draw people to faith in Christ. So back into this at verse 5, when we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. 
there we knelt and prayed and said our farewells. I mean, this is a time of saying farewells. I mean, they, I mean, because they're because Paul is leaving, and because of the prophecy prophecies that were given about him, they're understanding that it's likely they're not going to be seeing Paul again. So they knelt, they prayed, and, and there's a great model there. I mean, when we when we're spending time with people to say, well, why don't we pray together? Uh, to kneel, to pray, uh, I, I would encourage you don't know the impact that praying with someone can have and have a very significant impact. And so to kneel, to pray, to say our farewells, and, and then to the kneeling part, I mean, that's almost like a foreign thing in in contemporary uh, Christian culture, at least, at least in some of the churches and circles that I run in. Uh, but to kneel is a very good thing. It's showing surrender and reverence to God. Just talking about that, uh, highlighting that, emphasizing that that posture in prayer. Verse 6 said, we went on board, they returned home. And he says the next stop, Luke writing this, the next stop after Leaving Tyre was Ptolemus, uh, where we were greeted by the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day, just one day. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed in the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. This is Philip, the de- the evangelist, but Philip also the deacon. It says he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Now, this kind of messes with us a little bit. In our such uh, tightly wrapped theology here in America, uh, at least in some some circles, we think, well, women don't have the gift of prophecy. In this instance, they did. Uh, new church, the church is young, and and these four daughters all had the gift of prophecy. Then it says, several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. Now, why was prophecy being so prominently mentioned right now? Because the church is being established, and the prophets are a key in establishing the the uh, the reliability uh, of the church. The prophets being used to establish the veracity, the truthfulness uh, of the church. Uh, and, and so for that reason, prophets and prophetesses uh, were were a key factor in the local church in those days. Now, we've talked about this before. I don't know that we need to have in our day all the prophets uh, who are prophesying in that way as they did in that day as the church was being established. Now, I do believe there are places in the world where where in fact God may pour out his spirit uh, upon people prophetically because it's needed to establish the gospel in places where the gospel has not been. That's my take on it. Now, I have good brothers and sisters on both sides of me uh, on the issue who would disagree with me vehemently. Those who reject prophecy of any type for our day uh, and those who, who are saying we need prophecy all over the place toughest place is to be in the middle, uh, but but I'm, I'm very comfortable in my mind uh, and in my convictions landing in this place. I, I don't think that all prophecy is ruled out for today. I think in places like America where we have so many 
books, so many radio stations, so many television programs that we can watch that it isn't as necessary to have these prophets. Now, again, there are different types of prophets. There are prophets who who are preachers, who are just telling you what God's word says. In that sense, they are prophets. Then there are prophets who foretell future occurrences. Uh, so there's a couple different delineations of prophets. We're talking about those who who would foresee things. Uh, that's what I'm talking about, is I'm talking about prophets in this regard, in this chapter of Acts, chap- Acts chapter 21. So we see these people uh, earlier. Uh, now we see that these people here in Caesarea. We, we saw people in Tyre. We see people in Caesarea. Uh, and uh, we see these daughters. So we see women. We see these men, or this man, Agabus, who had the gift of prophecy, and he arrived from Judea. It says he came over. I put the text back there so you can see. He came over and took Paul's belt and bowed his own feet and hands with it. Then said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Now, that's what a prophet does. A prophet says this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. uh, And there's a visible act uh, portraying what's about to happen. So in taking Paul's belt, uh, and biting his feet, he he proclaims what will happen to Paul. And in fact, that is exactly what happened to Paul. So it says, when we heard this, we, and, and we being, including Luke, and all the local believers begged Paul not to go down onto Jerusalem. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm not I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of our Lord Jesus. Now, now, what an astounding statement to make. I mean, would we be in a place where we could say the same thing? Would we be in a place where we would say we are in a place where we're ready to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus? I don't know that I'm there yet. I would like to say that I'm there, but but I don't know that I am actually in that place in my heart, in my mind, where I'd say I'm ready for that. Now, I, I had some of you encourage me. You were so concerned when I went to South Sudan, and rightfully so, or concerned even in Israel. Now, in those moments at that point in time, I said, if 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 it's what has to happen to me, then I am ready. If the Lord would would see that my life should end in South Sudan or or in, in Israel or something, okay, I I'm good, you know. But sitting here today in my nice comfortable perch uh, overlooking the the serene street of Augusta Road, uh, it's not serene. That is, uh, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. It's very busy. Um, Saying it here, I, I I don't know that I would say I'm ready. There's no good reason here in America to have to die for the gospel, but other places, perhaps, yes. But he said, I'm ready. Uh, I, I'm ready to go. I, I'm ready to even die for the Lord Jesus. What are we willing to do for the Lord Jesus? That's a question. I mean, are, are, we, are we in a place, what are we willing to give up? If he said, I want you to give this, if I want you to do this, if I want you to go there, if I want you to uh, 
you know, take up this particular work, would you do it? That's just a question. What are we willing to do for the sake of the Lord Jesus? It says, but when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And ultimately, that's where we should be landing and saying, the Lord's will be done. Whatever happens, we're, we're trusting the Lord in it. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manson, uh, a man originally from, not, not Manson, sorry, Mason, uh, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. Again, just the idea of, of being an early believer and, and to think about, you know, these people have seen a lot. They've heard a lot. Uh, they've been exposed to a lot. What does Paul do next? It says, when we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet James and all. Now, this is a different James. There was James the Apostle, there's James the brother of Jesus, um, and all the elders of Jerusalem uh, of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detail, detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. He gave them a PowerPoint presentation. Well, probably not. Didn't even have pictures in that day, but he's giving a detailed verbal description of all that God had been doing. It says, after hearing this, they praised God. Then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jew, Jewish believers here in Jerusalem, Jerusalem have been told that you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow the Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Paul says, here's what you do. Uh, we have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple. Join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourselves observe the Jewish laws. You see, these are Jewish believers. These are Messianic believers. Uh, it was still incumbent upon them to uh, apply the laws uh, not for salvation, but they are trying to appeal to other Jews and by continuing some of the ceremonial aspects of Jewish law, they have an opportunity then to be a witness to Jewish non-believers that are around them. Gentile believers, uh, they didn't have to, uh, to follow those because they were Gentile. In fact, it says in verse 25, it says, As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in a letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So a very, very short list of things that they were told that they were supposed to do. They didn't have to follow all the other ceremonial laws of Jewish practice. It says, So Paul went with them to the temple. Now, this is in a day when they still had the temple. So they would still go to temple. Um, by AD 70, the temple would no longer be standing, and they couldn't go to temple. So Paul went to the temple with them. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and the sacrifices would be offered for each of them. Paul trying to be all things to all people so that by all means he might reach some. That was the goal. 
What's the outcome? The outcome is Paul's arrest. It says the seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles his holy place by bringing in Gentiles, which wasn't the case. Just for earlier that day, they'd see him in the city, city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed an assumption. They assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment uh, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. When the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains, he asked the crowd who he was and what he'd done. Some shouted one thing and some shouted another. They couldn't even get their story straight. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. Now, the fortress was up by the temple. Actually, it was just, just behind the temple. Uh, uh, so it wasn't that far from, from where they were. It says, as Paul reached the stairs, the, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to the shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. Words like the words that were shouted of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm not going to go further. We'll pick back up tomorrow because there, there isn't. Well, no, I will. Let's just finish this out. Then I want to hit another uh, uh, a key aspect in all this. It says, as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have word with you? Do you know Greek? The commander asked, surprised, and because Paul was speaking in Greek. Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins? That was the the name of the uh, of the gang, uh, out into the desert. No, Paul replied, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. And soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd, and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. So here is another language being spoken. He spoke Greek, he spoke Aramaic, he spoke Hebrew. Uh, people in that part of the world are, are so much, uh, seem, seemingly so much more versed in language than are we in America, where we just basically speak English. I've been one of those who said, oh, people are going to move to America, they just need to learn English because we speak English here. <laughs> well, you know, you go to other places in the world, they speak sometimes three, four, five, six, seven different languages. And, uh, Part of me wishes I had been raised in that way to speak so many different languages. Now, here is a, a key takeaway from this morning. Uh, Disciple-making results in deep, meaningful relationships. When we're making disciples of people, uh, relationships happen. It isn't just about the content of some study book. It isn't just the, about the content of some disciple-making manual that we're following. It's about building relationships and, and sharing partnership and kingdom work. That's why we're reading back in, in Miletus, the previous chapter, 
and then and then reading here in the different places, Tyre and places where Paul is going, about how people were in tears and, and, and they parted in tears. The relationships ran deep because Paul brought the life-changing, life-transforming gospel to these people and they loved him deeply. Ministry results in this type of love. Disciple-making results in deep, meaningful relationships. If it's just about getting through a book or a manual, we miss the point. Discipleship is relationship building, and so we build relationships with people that they might be founded and grounded together in Christ. Well, friends, it's the end of the half hour. Uh, It's Thursday. I will be back with you again tomorrow. Uh, Lord, hear our prayer for our brothers and sisters uh, in places in the world that suffer for for lack of resources. May you provide the resources that they need. For those of us who live here in America where we we abound in resources, even though it's expensive to live here, uh, Lord, help us to show gratitude, but also teach us how to have open hands uh, for the work of the kingdom around the world. And Lord, help us to always be building deep, meaningful relationships that result in disciples being grounded and founded who will go and make other disciples. Lord, that's our prayer today. Hear our prayer for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day, folks. See you again tomorrow.